Hey guys, and welcome to episode 36 of Underrated, a show where we talk about films we believe are underrated, generally disliked, or simply forgotten. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I am here to tell you a story about the future. And uh, joining me to tell you this story is my co-host, James Hamrick. How is the present? It's pretty good. I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie, so it's good right now. Awesome. All right, so today we are discussing Brad Bird's Tomorrowland. And to, before we get into that, I'd like to ask you guys, if you enjoy this show, to please take a moment and go and rate and review us on iTunes. Um, that would be very, very helpful if you could. So before we get into the main review, have you seen any cool movies in the last week that you want to talk about, James? Yeah, so I've seen two that come to mind. Um, the first is I'm continuing my Tarantino marathon with Pulp Fiction. Um, and this was actually especially enjoyable this time. First of all, just because it's a fantastic movie. But secondly, because a friend and I, we actually printed the uh, screenplay for it. And we watched the movie while reading the screenplay, um, at least for the first half, just to see what it's like. Because I've been just kind of studying screenplays and looking over them really with the interest of trying my hand at it just to get a feel for the format. Um, and it's really cool to read it and then watch the movie. Um, mainly just because it feels like Tarantino, even when he's just writing screen descriptions or scene descriptions, he's always in writer mode. Uh, like his description of the initial conversation in the diner, he describes the, the girl as being hard to exactly decide or determine where she's from and what her age is and everything she does contradicts something she had already done. It, it, he, he almost writes it like he's writing a novel and it's really interesting to see how that, how it was on that page translated to the screen. Yeah. I, I've only seen it once. I think I should probably see it again. That one, it's probably lower down on the list of my uh, favorite Tarantino films. Um, for me, it, was, it, it seemed more like a uh, just a series of incredibly well-executed shorts that didn't necessarily need to be in the same movie with each other. And I, I felt its two-and-a-half-hour runtime kind of creeping up up on it in the last hour or so. So, I don't know. It, it's both very impressive, but also it kind, of, it kind of bored me a little bit here and there. Yeah, the idea is pretty cool. I mean, I do agree. I, I do think that maybe it is a bit too long. Um, but I think the idea of just taking these familiar stories, like, or which is in, in special features, he talked about what he wanted to do with the movie, which was to take familiar stories like the boxer who refused to throw the fight and, uh, the, the hitman who has to protect his boss's wife. And then, and then just the idea of hitmen, what, what do they do after, after their job? What would what would their day look like if we followed them for the rest of the morning? And you took all those, all those different kind of stories, and you put them in one movie and watched the way they interact with each other and kind of told them in big pieces, but not necessarily in chronological order. It's it's a really cool idea, and I just think he translated it ridiculously well onto the screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all that along with like weird French ladies who want pot bellies and crazy rapist gangs and. Yeah, yeah, you just you, blend it all together. You got a movie. You you take those familiar stories and then you put Tarantino's weird mind in it. Definitely weird mind. <laughs> uh, anything else? Yeah. And then um, I went out and saw Alien Covenant, which I was really looking forward to because even though I wasn't an enormous fan of Prometheus, I kind of called it the worst movie or 
my my favorite bad movie um because to me it's just it's full of characters doing incredibly stupid things and reveals like the whole Charlize Theron saying father to Guy Pierce, who for whatever reason is in old man makeup and spoilers for Prometheus. Oh yeah. Or who cares? That's that reveal. That reveal isn't worth anything anyway. It has no point. Yeah. And it's really cringeworthy. Um, in spite of all of that, I okay, really, j- just so you know, spoilers for Prometheus and covenant just so we could talk. Yeah. Um, all of that, aside from everything I disliked about the movie, it's still really interesting, and it did make me excited for Covenant. And Covenant actually made me like Prometheus more in retrospect, um, mainly because the two just fit together really, really well, uh, and it's just really cool to see the kind of universe building that Scott is doing that I didn't anticipate anticipate to see him doing. Like, this isn't just loosely connected to Prometheus. It's a direct sequel. And by the end of it, you can tell he has legitimate plans for this series. So I'm actually really excited to see where he takes it. Yeah, I was really worried after the not-so-hot reaction that people had for uh, Prometheus that he was just going to just scrap it all and go back to making another Alien film, which it seemed the trailers seemed to point toward just, you know, you're another one of the slasher in space, uh, the kind of highbrow slasher films that the series has been. I loved all of the, um, the ambition and questions asked and just the scope of everything that Prometheus was and should have been about. I liked, I also had problems with the moronic characters and I have, there are some rather moronic characters in covenant as well, but, uh, yeah, and so I, I was very happy that he did continue along with bringing in the more slasher elements that of the Alien franchise. He melded it together with the ambitious sci-fi and the, asking these existential questions about ourselves and AI and all that stuff that Prometheus was doing. So it's a very imperfect film, and the more I think about it, the more issues I have with it here and there. But just while you're experiencing it, it's a very engaging and absorbing movie. Really, Scott is just... He is a master. I was just... He is very hit and miss, but when he is on point, just watching his films, they are so expertly crafted, just in the tone, the cinematography. I mean, the landscape shots in both this and Prometheus are some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I I remember re rewatching Prometheus in anticipation of Covenant. I remember the first five minutes just seeing these long takes and amazing shots. I was like, wait a second, I I thought that I wasn't an enormous fan of this movie. Why is that? Because this is awesome. And then Covenant started off the same way where it's just gorgeous shots. Like, he, you know, despite some of the flaws that may be present on the script, when he actually gets his camera and shoots a movie, even in his bad movies, they are just incredible to look at. And he is, you, there's no way you can look at movies like this and Prometheus and then obviously Alien and not just think like, this is an incredibly competent director. Mm-hmm. And, and just the pacing and how he just how economical he is with introducing characters and introducing the the world building like the way he does world building in sci-fi films is like second to none just he just like lets the camera float around and showing us these crazy things he, he just doesn't like make the character stop and say oh this is this this is this it just 
it feels like we're lit, we're kind of stepping into an existing and fully functioning world, and all these characters feel like you know normal people. They all feel very real, um, and I think that all, all that stuff kind of comes together to make a very oppressive and absorbing tone throughout the film. Like for I have a lot of issues with this film, but I was always fully engaged uh, while the film was going. Yeah, it, and something else that he did that I really. To me, like I have to tip my hat to him, is that he still manages to gross me out without <laughs> feeling like it's just like a, like oh, okay, well it's an alien film. He's got to do that. Like this is just getting silly at this point. Like it, it feels necessary for the kind of movie that he's making. Like these creatures, just what they are in nature, these horrific forces of oppression, like literally bursting out of your body and then existing outside of that solely for themselves. Like the the scene in which it bursts from his back, it, I, it was so disturbing and, and freaky, but it, it did what the movie was supposed to do to me, which is just make me incredibly uncomfortable and terrified of whatever did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, spoilers, uh, just, I'll have the timestamps when we stop talking about this in the show notes, but I want to talk about this scene. That entire scene of, you know, where he's sick, she she brings him back, then the other group on the mountainside gets, their guy gets sick, and it's just cutting back between them and the Covenant, and just things are getting worse and worse and worse, then there's lots of blood coming out, it's just, and she's running back and forth down the hall, just ter- obviously terrified. It is, that scene is so disturbing. In the like, best way. Yeah. And as you said, like, it never feels, like, exploitive in how it presents the gore. But it it is genuinely incredibly shocking what happens in this film. But never in a way that makes me, like, angry at the film for doing this. Like, it's wasting it. But um, uh, we, we have to talk about Michael Fassbender. Uh, this guy is a treasure. We – he needs to just be accepted by – movie lovers is top five actors right now he's so phenomenal he gives two fantastic performances in this movie and with david the line he said in prometheus where he said when he's talking to i forget the name of the doctor but the doctor said to him whenever he's asked why he made him because we could and david says imagine hearing that coming from your maker like from then he became like a legitimate character and you start to understand who he is and like why he thinks the way he does in Prometheus and his arc is ridiculously well continued in Covenant. Like it's, I didn't expect it to go this way at all, but it feels so natural and it works so well. And I think David is going to end up being one of the most interesting sci-fi characters ever. Yeah, it just about his performance. It is so just spellbinding. He uh it's he's he plays an android, so it's it, how he blends just robotics and kind of uh blossoming humanity is just you can't stop looking at him when he's on screen. You just have to watch him. And t- I remember specifically in the theater as David is teaching Walter how to play the flute. <laughs> It's such a simple scene, but I remember thinking in my seat, like, I'm watching a fantastic actor. And I, like, it's just two guys sitting down 
with a wooden flute. But I am totally captivated just because of the way, like, you have one character who's not quite human, but is, you know, frustrated with that and doesn't accept it, and who's trying to elicit that same response out of this other android who's not really there because he can't be. It's it, the, the different nuances he brings to both kinds of androids is just so cool to watch. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the cast is really good, too. I, I really enjoyed Catherine Watterson in Fantastic Beasts. I think she continues to be really good here. And even Danny McBride wasn't, was actually pretty good. Uh, not Billy Crudup, too. I, I liked his performance as well. Yeah, and something that, lastly, just not to talk about it too long, but something else that I did like about all the performances and the characters themselves was that even though they, even though they all did... <laughs> at some point probably do something really stupid, they still all felt real. Like, mm-hmm. there were legitimate personalities. Nobody felt like they were there to die. They were there... Ridley Scott put thought in a, who is this kind of person? Yes, I'm going to have an alien burst out of their back pretty quickly, but who is he? Like, what are his personality traits? And no one ever literally felt like they were there to read lines and then die. They all felt like characters. Huh. It's funny you say that. Because I think my one of my continuing issues with this franchise is that I think it makes it very difficult to connect with the people <laughs> because huh. it does seem like these people are like again spoilers the thing that happens to the protagonist of the last film I get a very distinct feeling that these films don't care about the people at all they make them human and that works moment to moment. But like, as far as, you know, connections to a franchise and me wanting to revisit it to experience this journey with these people, I don't really get that. It's just, yeah, they're there, but they feel, they they, they do feel like cannon fodder. Also with how this film ends, it's just, these films don't feel like they care at all about their characters. And that makes it very difficult for me to connect long-term. I like, I like and respect these films, but I, I, I don't really care too much about them. So I can agree with that, but what I still appreciate is the fact that even though he may not necessarily care about them in the long run, (laughs) he never allows it to let him get lazy with them. He's not going to say, because I'm going to kill this person pretty quickly and because that I really, that this, that this character's fate is pretty much irrelevant to the main plot, like... He's he's definitely more interested in building this universe and telling this grand story than telling intimate stories with actual characters. But to me, that could have allowed him to just be really lazy and have like none of these people are characters because he's going to kill them anyways. But to me, that never feels the case. Even though he's going to kill them all, he still gives them personalities. Yeah, that's why he's a pro. Uh, and, and just a couple other more complaints is. It has some of the dumbest horror film cliches. Oh yeah, we just got attacked by monsters and a bunch of our friends were killed. But I'm gonna go wander off by myself for a little while now, just just to, just cause. And what do you think is gonna happen to me, huh? Well, they'll probably come back just fine, of course. Yeah, and uh, Billy Crudup does the single stupidest thing I've ever seen done in any film ever. Oh gosh, it's it's worse than anything that happens in Prometheus. Yeah, that scene. I, if it, I was really, really frustrated. Even though I was captivated and I was on the edge of my seat, going like, "Oh my gosh, I'm really nervous." I was also like, 
thinking in my head, this is really stupid. Yeah. And it's just blatantly stupid things like that. Just, it, it, I, I really like this film and I was completely engaged, but like thinking about it, I was like, why did that thing happen? That thing feels weird. And, and so I like it, but I don't love it. And all right. <laughs> Anything else you want to mention about that before we move on? Yeah, just just the last thing. I, I think what's most frustrating about these two movies is that just simple changes could turn these both into masterpieces. Like, <laughs> changes to character decisions, deciding that certain reveals weren't worth revealing, and just cleaning up the narrative and making things make a little bit more sense would just really elevate these movies into another level. But mm-hmm. as, as they stand, they are incredibly enjoyable. And it's just really fun to see Scott being this ambitious. Yeah, and they're still better than basically any other sci-fi you're going to find right now. So, Yeah, life is what you get whenever you have a director who lacks the ambition that really Scott has. Well, I think life is probably one of the better knockoffs out there. But it's yeah. a, it's a better knockoff, but it to me it's it's soulless. I don't, I don't really see the passion in it. Like I saw genuine passion in these two movies. Yeah. All right. Did you have any others you saw? That was it for me. Besides the Alien Covenant, the only one other film I saw was a Pineapple Express, and <laughs> I have nothing to say about it. It's not good. It's not really funny. It's poorly directed, poorly paced, way too long. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get American comedies. It's just, they feel so lazy in, in the kind of humor they go for in how they're made. I mean, look at Brit- when British, when the British make comedies, just the level of wit and then just the f- general filmmaking and stuff feels like a whole nother level than most, the, your average American comedy. And I don't know that they, they very rarely do I get one that actually feels all that funny. Yeah, when British make comedies, we get the Three Cornetto trilogy. And that is just... And Americans have Seth Rogen. Yeah, don't remind me. He he actually he actually is a good actor when he's in dramatic films. But when he's in his comedy, quote-unquote, element, I, don't, I find him actually a really bad actor. And he's really obnoxious, too. In his comedies, he's just... It, it feels like him and all of his friends just literally saying anything and everything and filming it and like having more ridiculous ideas but it's like they think the more ridiculous the idea the funnier it has to be and i actually haven't seen pineapple express i i'd kind of wanted to because i had hoped that it may be funny in the way like one of the best to me american comedies uh at least of this like decade or whatever is uh, Tropic Thunder and I was actually hoping that if I ever did get around to seeing Pineapple Express it'd make me laugh like that did because I do think Tropic Thunder is hilarious yeah it's it's not <laughs> dang uh, so uh, that was all I've seen this year, uh, this week um, one thing I did want to briefly mention um, as the listeners know like, uh, Zack Snyder's DCEU films were like one of the main reasons we started this show they mean a lot to both of us um so earlier this week, it was announced that uh, Zack Snyder was uh, stepping down from Justice League due to the uh, suicide of his daughter, Autumn. Um, he just he needs to spend time with his family and just, you know, work through all this. Uh, and man, it's, this was like seriously shocking when I heard this. It's, it's just, it's so 
just awful on so many levels. Uh, yeah, it, Zack Snyder to me has been one of my favorite directors. I, I remember I, I used to write him off before I'd even seen his films, and after watching it, I to me he's such a legitimate visionary. Like with his ideas, the way he can translate what's in his mind onto the screen is just so impressive. But something that I consistently see with people who work with him is that he's not just a great director he's he's a great guy like reading interviews with or watching interviews and reading interviews with people like amy adams and henry cavill and everybody who works with him they have nothing but nice things to say like words you'll consistently see are kind and sweet and incredibly generous so it, it just makes me respect him that much more to know that he's a genuine guy and so it was i I almost teared up just reading this news just because of how much I like him and respect him as a person. So I I, I respect him even more uh, for what he's doing, which is you've, you've got this huge blockbuster movie, going to be one of the biggest movies of the year, and to have the responsibility to say that this is still just a movie and to step down from that to be with your family, like I think, is incredibly admirable. So it make it just makes me respect him even more. Yeah, it's it's such a horrible situation to be put in, and this is absolutely the, obviously the the right choice to make. Um, and I, I think it was it's really good to have the studio as well to you know let allow him to do that. I mean, because they are, film is expensive, and so but in the end, you know, it's just just a movie. You know, the family's what's important. Um. So yeah, definitely. Um. Keep uh, him and his family in your in your prayers, um, and so uh, Joss Whedon has uh, actually been brought on to write and direct. I guess a few pickup scenes, you know, and just to oh, and to oversee the the final post production. Um, it this just seems like kind of an odd choice considering their styles, but but he he is a very good filmmaker in his own, as well. So it's definitely in good hands. Yeah, I, I know people are saying like, oh, well, let's. Let's see, you know, it's it's going to be super obvious to see what was directed by him and Zack Snyder, and we're going to see a lot more levity because of Whedon. And I don't think people understood how far into production, post-production even, this movie is in. And he, he has already also said that he's essentially doing his best to mimic Snyder's style, and I think he's he's a smart enough director to know what's like when he's filming and when he's editing if he's editing in his own style or if he's editing in a in a way that is consistent with the movie um so i i have no worries as to what effect that's going to have on the movie i still think it's going to turn out great uh just because now it it has two directors have their hands on it and i really love both directors so anything else you want to mention before you move on i think i'm ready all right, let's begin our main review for Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland was released in 2015. It was directed by Brad Bird on a budget of $190 million, and it only grossed $202 million. It was one of the bigger bombs that year, unfortunately. It stars Britt Robertson, George Clooney, Rafi Cassidy, Hugh Laurie, Tim McGraw, Pierce Gagnon, and Keegan-Michael Key and Katherine Hahn show up as well. The screenplay was by Damon Lindelof and Brad Bird. 
It was shot by Claudio Miranda, and the score was composed by the great Michael Giacchino. And I'm going to get you to read a brief synopsis, James. Bound by a shared destiny, a teen bursting with scientific curiosity and a former boy genius inventor embark on a mission to unearth the secrets of a place somewhere in time and space that exists in their collective memory. And this was a film that I was like really excited for. Brad Bird, I think he's he's probably my second favorite director after J.J. Abrams. I think he has a way of just making these films that are so intelligent, heartfelt, and just also have a with a, a beautiful blockbuster quality that and kind of broad appeal, yet never compromising quality. Um, you know, The Iron Giant, The Incredibles, Ratatouille, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. His filmography is is all like absolute hits. I, this was a film that I was really excited for, and. and and I really enjoyed it. What did you think about it? I liked it. Um, I definitely don't get why or how someone can say that it's it's a bad movie. I do think that you can probably attribute most of the negativity just between the disconnect between the marketing and what the movie actually was. Yeah, uh, the the marketing... It's kind of hard to say what it sold because it, it was so intentionally vague and so... And just kind of, it was intended to kind of just prick your curiosity and, you know, what is Tomorrowland? And then we got the glimpses of this, you know, crazy uh, 60s inspired um, future, future uh, world. And I think a lot, a lot of people didn't like that. Well, I'm going to call it spoilers now for the film. If you, if you haven't seen this film, go watch it, but I, we, we will be spoiling it. And so when, I guess when the film came out and that was only a, a brief two minute promo, I think it pissed a lot of people off, and they just never forgave it after as the film went on. Yeah, and it seemed like the movie itself really didn't have any desire to be the movie that this marketing was promising. Like this, watching the movie, it doesn't seem like the direct the guy who made that movie probably wouldn't have wanted it to be like this shroud and like this this movie that was shrouded in mystery, and everybody was like barely teased with and it it seemed like had the marketing been differently and they'd been more honest with what kind of movie it was going to be I, I think it would have been more successful yeah normally we kind of uh, deal with the criticisms last but let's just dive right into that I, I think what with the film with the film essentially you have tomorrowland is an idea it's a concept it's the uh, you know the idea of humanity at their best of place where everyone you know works together for the betterment of mankind but it is still it's you it ends on the hope and promise of that and most of the film is essentially kind of a road trip film and i think it's a really good really good road trip film but um i think essentially people came in with their expectations of what they wanted this film to be and when it wasn't that they said it's not good. And I, I don't think that's that's not fair to a film. Obviously, marketing can marketing departments can tell you whatever they want to tell you, and you can be annoyed at that. But when it comes to you know judging a film, I think we have to take it on you know what does the director intend, what is the film, and in that case, the marketing is kind of irrelevant because the director usually isn't even involved in that. Yeah, I mean, I think we we've, we've seen this happen a lot of different times with where. The movie itself isn't exactly what was in the trailer or what was teased, and 
to me, it like you said, it, it's unfair because I I bet there's very little communication between a marketing team and the actual crew of the movie. Um, so to to hold it up to the stand, to hold these this group of this large group of people who put time and effort into this movie to judge their movie by the standard that this other people that this other group of people set isn't fair at all to to the movie that they actually made. Mhm. And I'm still not entirely sure what people wanted out of this movie. The the main common criticism is I wanted more Tomorrowland. I guess I have a hard time identifying that for me the least interesting part of the trailers was this it felt like like yeah, I get this Tomorrowland, but what's the story? <laughs> for me, it was like I was I was worried that it would be all staring around and wide-eyed wonder at the '60s extravaganza of the future. But the fact that it actually had a story was actually kind of a positive that I was worried it might not have. And so, I guess just getting into what the film is, essentially, it's you know this the story of this teenage girl who is kind of looking around her and seeing that the world is. The world has kind of resigned itself to doom, essentially. <laughs> this is really funny uh, montage where she's going through all these different classes and they're all these really scary looking teachers talking about how mankind is doomed, the world is uh, falling apart, global warming, climate and overpopulation and nuclear war and all that. And you know, she asks, well, what can we do about it? And the guy kind of stares at her and the bell rings like, all right, next week. <laughs> I guess another issue is it's not a very subtle film, <laughs> but I think this film is it's made in the style of the kind of films Disney made, you know, in the 60s and 70s, you know, these very open hearted, happy films kind of they had their adventures and usually like often starring children. And this film, it feels very much kind of of a type with those like Disney adventures uh, people grew up with. And I, I, I think uh, bird bird sensibilities really uh, translate well to that kind of style. Um, you know, it's like just in the sense of humor the film has and, and kind of how open it is about its message, maybe even to its own fault. But I, I, I do like how he, he mimics that, that, that type of film. Yeah. Um, to me, I can forgive it for being so unsubtle because of what it is. Which is, you know, like those kind of movies, it's like, it was very obvious. This is this problem. We're going to fix it we're, because we're optimistic and positive. And it's what the kind of, it, it, it's what the movie is. And it, it doesn't really bother me. And something that you said, which is something that I, I really wanted to talk about, which is it felt like the movies that we kind of grew up on. Uh, to me, the, the tone of this movie is the perfect kind of tone to strike if you want to be a movie that kids are going to grow up with. Like this, had this movie come out when I was a kid, this would have been one of the movies that I would have put on, you know, every week. You know, I just get up in the morning and put it in my VHS and watch mm-hmm. it. It's on the floor. Like, you know, it's, it has the enough excitement with like the, the, the robots getting decapitated and <laughs> like different it feels thrilling and adventurous enough to where, you know, kids are going to really be into it. It's, it's not, it, it's, it's exciting for that kind of age, but it's, it's also 
well put together and humorous enough that adults are going to be able to watch it and still enjoy. And so to me, it's, it is just a great family movie. And I, I like it when those movies come around because I think it's cool to see new generations of families with these kinds of movies that, you know, soon, you know, a decade from now, there's going to be some other person saying, oh, I grew up with Tomorrowland. I used to watch that all the time when I was a kid. Like, it is that kind of movie and it is very honest about being that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, he very intentionally targeted it toward families and that because this is quote unquote a message film and that is again both a flaw but also I, I like that this is a film that can inspire the next generation of kids watching it to oh maybe science class isn't as boring as I thought it was you know now I want to be an astronaut I want to be a car designer I want to be an astrophysicist or whatever it kind of it's it's packaged in a way that like even I. I'm rather rather cold and cynical sometimes, but just coming out of the film, I feel inspired. I want to go make something. It just it taps into that our uh, creator uh, instinct you know, that we have. We, it makes us you know want to go out there and build things. And you know what, what is speaking out against you know is the the tone that has um, kind of seeped into culture and kind of taken over entertainment and, and other aspects is you know. The idea, you know, we're all doomed. No, no matter what we do, the sun's going to burn out. We're all going to die, or global warming will, will wipe us all out. It's just it, it, the, the, you know, the optimism of science in the, uh, in the right uh, directly after World War II. You know, the, the the tone that science fiction films had then. You know, the idea of anything is possible. We might even go to the moon, dude. Can you think about that? And you know, just that that idea. And where it kind of, it's kind of worn away, and now it's left with a much more cynical. Oh, people are horrible. We're all gonna die. Feel, <laughs> and that's you know reflected with the rise of you know the dystopian style. And I, I love dystopian films. I like them as much as the next guy. They're some of my favorite movies. But we don't get films you know this cheerfully optimistic about everything like this very often. And. I think it is coming back. I really like the you know the Disney live action remakes. I think they are very consciously trying to recapture that feeling um, in movies like Tomorrowland and you know Cinderella and or, or uh, Peace Dragon. And I I do like that. Sure, I think there there is a place for you know the dark, uh, you know tales that to warn us warn us about you know the dangers of technology. But I, th- I think there is a place for optimism. You know. For looking to the future and not seeing and seeing something besides doom. Yeah, we, I definitely. In recent years, technology has always been cast as the antagonist in some sort of way. So to see the, the, the idea of the future being bright because of our ingenuity, it's kind of a refreshing thing to see in a movie, and it's it's cool to see the fact that the movie is acknowledging that, like. Hugh Laurie's uh, monologue when he's saying we we eat it up we eat up post-apocalyptic dystopian movies so the it, the movie is almost just about this idea of the optimism the age-old optimism that's kind of died out trying to fight against modern culture and it I think it did that pretty well yeah I do find it rather ironic that this movie came out a week after Mad Max 
<laughs> and I wonder if some of the negative reviews were from people who came were still high off Mad Max and thought, oh, this film's so pompous. It's trying to fuss at us for liking this awesome movie or something. But uh, it is kind of funny. And uh, just Hugh Laurie's speech is so wonderful. I mean, the guy is the best at chewing scenery, and they give him a lot of scenery to chew in this movie. And he's he's obviously having so much fun. The, the entire monologue, um, I'm not even going to try to quote it, but uh, just about how even like even in you know the attitude of doom and gloom that is surrounding us, why aren't we trying to fix it instead of you know instead of saying oh we're all doomed, hey let's merchandise it. <laughs> why is that our attitude? Why isn't it? Man, this looks scary. Let's go fix it. And I think it just raises a lot of great, you know, great questions, especially again, as a family film to, to have, you know, youngsters leaving the film with, with these ideas buzzing in their heads. I, I think it's, it's kind of valuable as that. Yeah. And I, I wanted to talk about that particular scene. I was not expecting that from this movie, but that was a, a, a really great monologue and I will try to quote it. Now it'll probably be terrible, <laughs> but one of the lines that I thought was just great was, Accepting the future's apocalypse is easy because it doesn't ask anything of you today. Like, mm-hmm. That's a really thoughtful statement from Tomorrowland. Like the fact that it's almost our laziness, our desire to not have to be responsible. It's, it's become so strong that we're okay with allowing this inevitable future we've essentially made it inevitable um i just it was it's a pretty cool idea a a thoughtful idea coming from a movie that i would not have expected it from so that that whole scene where you you kind of understand what this movie is really saying was really really good yeah you do see that you know in kind of western culture the idea where we're not trying to build things as we're not the, you know, the whole "you only live once" attitude. We all want to just party and you know ha- have a have a good time now. Who cares about you know having a family? Who cares about setting up a world for the future? Just live your, live your best your best life now, kind of thing. And I, I like that this film is you know saying that you know we're not the only ones. We're not going to be here that long. You know, there's going to be a next generation. We need to be uh, more. We need to be, think about. Of the world as if you know we are just one part of it we're not the only people here we, there will be a next generation we have to you know build a world that we'd be pr- proud to hand over to them and i i think that that's definitely an idea that that would uh, do very well to take hold uh, among the adults in the, of our generation yeah and it's crazy because it's it's really not an idea that we really see a lot um i don't think like you mentioned mad max coming out um, just before, I, I think the difference in the amount of money the two people or the two movies made kind of proves the movie's point that we're doomed. Yeah, we're doomed. Like <laughs> it's an accepted fact. Let's commercialize it. But like it, it does the the way the movie ends. It doesn't try to end with that ambiguous like so. What's going to happen? It's optimistic at the beginning and it's optimistic to the end. It it says we can. So do it. And I like the fact that it didn't try to 
try I, i'm sure that people would complain that like oh it raised all these questions and then it just gave this easy solution ending everything's happy and optimistic like well that's no point it wants to leave you with the idea that yes that's absolutely achievable of course it could happen if we did it and it ends on that positive note overall i just thought it was a really a really fun way to package a message that i agreed with yeah, it is rather interesting. I think this film has a lot in common with uh, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. You know, with that film, is kind of bemoaning the fact that we about you know the loss of the space program. This also this there's a significant subplot in this film about you know where the uh, the the space shuttle launch platform is kind of the symbol of mankind's ambition, and they're dismantling it. And so Casey's kind of act of rebellion against that is to try to sabotage the. Um, the the work going on there, and I, I it is interesting that you have these two films kind of coming out ne- real next to each other, kind of bemoaning our uh, the uh, mankind's current <laughs> lack of ambition. Yeah, I think that um, because Interstellar maybe wore that less on its sleeve and was a little, far less optimistic. Then Tomorrowland is probably why people gravitated towards it, and may have missed the point. Although I I don't know that you could call Interstellar subtle though. I think it it was just it was just as preachy in its own way. But it I think it kind of hit the tone that modern audiences wanted with this kind of bleakness, and then they kind of missed what the movie was saying. Whereas in this one, like we've been saying, it's it's optimistic, and it doesn't lie for a second about being optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of out of my stride. We usually talk about kind of the deep, the deeper meaningful and meanings and themes of the film towards the end. Um, so I guess kind of just to move into the filmmaking. Uh, I, I, how, uh, what did you? What is your opinion overall of Brad Bird and his filmography? So I love Ratatouille. I think it's such a genuine movie, and it's it's delightful just to sit down and watch. Um, and I think The Incredibles is one of the best, like, takes on the superhero genre. It's like an amalgam of different ideas. You know, like, history, or, you know, heroes must resign, like, feels like Watchmen. And then you've got this family dealing with powers and then living modern life. you got Fantastic Four elements. It just, it's take these, it takes these ideas that we've seen in different comic books or movies and it kind of formats it, put, puts in a format that everybody can watch and enjoy. And it's just a a great action movie. Like, outside of just being a great animated movie, it's a great action movie. Um, I haven't seen all of Iron Giant. And, Dude, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> and I know, because that's the response I always get. And I do need to watch it. It is so good. Uh, and... I loved Ghost Protocol. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that is some of the best like staged action set pieces. And even outside of just the action set pieces, really cool spy sequences like the the um, pseudo camouflage thing in the, in the hallway as they're moving down. There's just so many really interesting things going on in that movie. And he always has fun characters. Pacing's always great. So he he has an incredibly impressive filmography, in my opinion. Yeah, it's always interesting to see a director come off animation and move into live action. 
And I think he probably has the most successful uh, first time outing with that. Just I have a lot of problems with Ghost Protocol screenplay, but everything from the direction standpoint is so just confident. And the you know the visual inventiveness of every sequence. There's all these like little gags and just um, it's it's so just sleek and just fun to watch. Um, yeah, and I think just it's it's almost almost like a cartoon sensibility. I think that carries over really well here. This is really it's just as a film. It's so it's so well put together. Um, you know, kind of as a a comedy action kind of family film. I think every one of those elements is completely firing on all cylinders, which is why I am so much more forgiving of the the more awkward preachy moments is because this the packaging is it is so darn entertaining. Um, and also a lot of that is thanks to the cast. The cast is fantastic. Um, the lead, Britt Robertson, uh, she just brings so much just gleeful spunk and energy. I was always, she's always just an engaging presence and just a, a fun person to be with throughout the film. Yeah, I, th- I think she fits the kind of character that she's playing really, really well. Um, she She's likable. Like you said, she kind of has this confident spunk with her. It's just... She's never really annoying, and she's never just purely like wide-eyed, you know, amazement. It, she's a legitimate character, and she's fun to watch the movie through. Like she, she's a fun character to experience the movie with. The kind of character she is could so easily have become one of those annoying kids you see in those '60s Disney films. But uh, I think she there's there's a there's also just a lot of sincerity, um, and then. Uh, Raffi Cassidy uh, is phenomenal. She, she's, I mean, we were just talking about uh, Michael Fassbender as an android, and while she's definitely, she's not Michael Fassbender, uh, I think she, she does bring a lot. You know, just it's a very delicate balance to strike. You know, between just the the pure robotics and then you know the the, the humanity uh, of her character, and I think she has she has really good chemistry with both uh, Britt Robertson and George Clooney, and I mean. Standing up to verbal sparring with George Clooney is no uh, is no mean feat. Yeah, to me, she was definitely the standout. She was really fantastic in this movie. Um, yeah, if I was twelve years old watching this movie, I know I would be completely in love with her. <laughs> yeah, and it's because she's just so. She plays this character in an incredibly likable way, but. There's also a lot of layers to the character, um, and she she plays those layers, and, and then like you said, is definitely something that I want to talk about. She is going toe to toe with George Clooney, and I mean it's not like this is George Clooney's you know most dramatic role or anything, but he has his witty lines. He's saying he he's still acting. He's still being the great actor that he is, and she's in the same scene oftentimes in an argument with him and there's not this huge disparity in acting ability she's holding her own and she's just a really fun character that i did not expect to gravitate towards uh the way i did where she's just an incredibly engaging character with who ended up being a lot more complex than you probably would have initially thought yeah george clooney is i think in very fine form um he's he's george clooney but george clooney is awesome so I, I and this one he plays a bit more of a gr- a grumpier character than we usually see. I thought he was he's a lot of fun just 
again, like Brit, him and Britt Robertson also have a lot of chemistry. The whole cast has so much chemistry together. I think my favorite scene in the film is when they all get together and they're in the truck. They're all crammed in, into the, the cab of the truck and they're just, everyone's arguing with somebody else, just poking at each other. It's, it's just one of the funniest moments in the entire film. And it's just these three great actors just go, with, with the really solid script right there, just going at it. It's just, the whole film is just so much fun to be watching. Yeah, and, and with with George Clooney, to me, he he seems to be one of the most like effortless actors to watch. Like he, he's got what seems to be just such an innate charm and likability. He's he's pretty much born to be a leading man, so he can be in any scene, working with nearly any script, and I'm gonna buy it just because it's George Clooney. But like you said, he there are moments in this movie where he's working with just a great script and with actresses who understand the characters they're playing really well. So whenever they are going back and forth, like in that truck scene, which I also thought was one of the, one of the best scenes in the movie, it's, it's completely entertaining. It's funny. And every, every actor is delivering their line the way it should be delivered. And everyone's responding the way it should be responded to it. There, there's so there's so many moments like that throughout and you know whenever they they move to the other dimension and they're going like they're just getting completely warped you can see the different way that the characters are playing it like uh brit is completely freaking out you know not knowing anything is going on uh raffi just looks like it, it might as well not even be happening because she's a robot and then george Clooney just seems like oh i've done this like too many times before i'm not even like everybody's reacting to these different situations completely differently but every reaction is spot on for the characters they're playing mm-hmm. um and a couple other cast members uh the kid uh pierce gagnon who plays her little brother he was he was great too I, like i never once i mean he's at that age you know probably around like six or seven where even in a, a well-cast movie those kids usually kind of stand out and he was he was great. He had several comedic moments with uh, both uh, Robertson and Raffi Cassidy, and he he sold them both. So he didn't have a lot of screen time, but he he really impressed me with what he had. It's funny because I I I put him in my notes as well, and I was thinking like he was barely in it. So it's it's impressive that I remembered him enough to like actually think about bringing him up. But I something I did want to talk about was. I like the their their dynamic. To me, movies it it's it's almost tiresome to see how often movies play up the whole oh the brother and sister these they they hate each other because they're brother and sister. We all know what that's like. And to me, I Wait, almost are, think like are, did are you saying there are families that get along? That's that's how I feel. It's like movies have become so cynical, and I can't help but think watching most movies like does everybody did everybody just hate like. <laughs> with a passion their siblings growing up so to see them kind of like i mean they argue they tease each other but it felt like you know they cared about each other clearly you know him enough to try to keep a secret and uh seeing uh the character of athena kind of calling him out on his lie just his face as he was (laughs) figuring out that she knew it was really good, and I, I actually really liked that scene. Yeah, as you said, the whole family dynamic is is it's really charming. Uh, Tim McGraw, 
which seemed like an odd casting choice, but he was good too. Just, I, I believe they were a family, you know, they had their issues, they had their problems, but they had, they, they had a really sweet dynamic and it's nice to see a film where they don't hate each other. It's, 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 it, 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 it actually happens. There are families out there that don't want to kill each other. Hear that Hollywood? <laughs> it's, it's kind of sad that, it's more like I pay more attention when a movie has siblings that don't hate each other than when they do. Because <laughs> when they do, I don't even give a second thought because I've just seen it so many times. And so seeing them kind of have a, a legitimate familial blo- uh, bond, I was like, whoa, this is kind of nice. Just b- Before we move away from the characters, the last thing I wanted to say about Rafi Cassidy's uh, character of Athena was that that ending scene with her was really good. With her and, and Clooney? And Cl- yes, with her last line, I was like, okay, I, I didn't cry, but this movie <laughs> got me closer than I had any idea I would, where she says, you know, the the reason I never laughed was because you weren't funny. And they kind of share that last moment before he has the drop. I'm like, this, this funny, charming little robot girl is about to blow up. This is really sad. It's, I mean, I, I know how Iron Giant ends, so I'm just thinking, like, man, Brad Bird, why why do you always do this? Because I know I'm going to have to, now that I know what it feels like, I know what I'm in for with Iron Giant. Yeah, that, that scene works really well. I mean, it is so close to being kind of creepy just because the age difference. But, I mean, technically, she's probably older than he is, so whatever. Go away. But, uh... I think it just uh, it just works, you know. It it makes sense that uh, he, as a child, would have fallen in love with her. I mean, because I would have fallen in love with her too. She's adorable, <laughs> but just and then you know the fact that I don't think he made a lot of friends after he was was um was uh, expelled from Tomorrowland. It seems that he kind of became a uh, recluse. So I think it, it just it doesn't have to be a romantic scene. It's just they're friends. She's one of his oldest friends, and she's about to die. I think it, just on its own, it is a very dramatic and well-done scene. It doesn't have to be creepy, as everyone's calling it. It, it. I think it works quite well. Yeah, it, it, like you said, the way the movie presents how he lived out, you know, outside of Tomorrowland, it to me, it didn't... I, I didn't even... I haven't really read a lot of the reviews. I didn't get <laughs> any real sense of any sort of creepy romantic thing going on in that scene. I just thought that... This was his most real human connection. Even though she is an, an audio, whatever they audio call them. automaton. Audio automaton. It it was still like the closest thing to a legitimate like human relationship, a positive relationship that he had had. Um, and so to to have that reconnect only just before having to lose it again, to me it, it works outside of whatever people and their cynicism want to say about it. Yeah. I, I thought that you it were would... the people this movie was made for. Okay. Smile a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I thought that it was much better than it could have been. <laughs> but I also just did think I was like, man, they're, they're literally blowing up this little girl. Like this is so sad, but it all worked together to create an ending that was better than what I was thinking. Because as as we did get close to the ending, I was thinking, okay, now, now we're gonna the, the thing is, 
about to get blown up. I don't know how, but then we'll have our positive ending. And then to see that, I'm like, oh, wow. I, I didn't expect the movie to go this this way, but this is actually really good. For its structural and plotting flaws, the character arcs are real. They work quite, they, and they work really well, and the actors pull it off. So I th- and ultimately, that, that is what you know, connects you to a film. I think that part uh, works quite well. We're, t- we're talking about you know, uh, how visually inventive Bird is, but the, the few action scenes that are, all, are in this film are all really, really well made. Uh, the, uh, the robot fight in the, uh, in the, the uh, awesome little nostalgia store. Um, I mean, you know, we, we've all seen a million kung fu fights, but Brad Bird just films it in such an exciting way. Just the way the camera moves in and around him, and then it, it, it's, it's, it's all very well, very uh, well laid out, clear geography. No quick cutting because you don't have to do that. He has good stunt people. And it's just a really fun, exciting scene with, you know, the time bomb and <laughs> or just like not knocking the uh, Han Solo down <laughs> on one of the guys. And uh, uh, Keegan-Michael Key is, is he's, he's, he's hilarious. And I think he's perfectly cast here in the, the little role he has, but he does, he does a lot with it. Yeah, he's he himself is just hilarious. <laughs> and I, I love the scene where you know, she says, it wouldn't happen if you just left the door open all the time. And just under his breath, just real quick, he just says, yeah, that ruins the effect. And like, there's this legitimate bickering going back and forth between the two that just kind of exists in that small little moment and the movie continues. But it was such a... I, I think it's just because he's so effortlessly funny that he could take whatever mm-hmm. was in the script and be funny with it. And then... But- I, I think the script is just the moment to moment writing and dialogue is excellent. Yeah. It's, it's all really funny. It, it, the movie does have like fairly consistently good writing. Um, and then it also helps that the place that they're shooting in is just so cool. I had fun just picking out all the different references and seeing, you know, star Wars and Zerg from toy story. And then the iron giant and frozen Hansel. Like it was, it's just a really cool scene. Or, um, it, it's a cool location to shoot that kind of scene in. And the the house escape sequence is also just really clever. It's just so many little touches here and there with all the all the little traps he has set up. It, it's just a really clever, fun sequence that that moves really well. He he paces action uh, very very well. Yeah, I, I think something that he does really well, and I think you've mentioned this with Abrams before, is he kind of continues telling the story and continuing like character dynamics as action moves along. It's, it's never, the, the scenes never feel like kind of remote and isolated action scenes within a movie. It's always action scenes about these characters that are moving through and it's, it's helping advancing them, whether it's advancing the plot or literally just advancing their location as they move from this area to this area with, with a specific goal in mind. And something that to me makes that scene so much fun is Brad Bird feels like he made this movie with the sense of optimism that the movie is trying to get across to its audience. Like, <laughs> he he created it. If, if the movie's idea is, well, why, why can't we build this? Why can't we build that? Why, why can't we do things? Because it, it's fun to be, you know, optimistic about we can, if you can think it, you can build it. Be, you know, creative. And so we're, it's literally just set piece after set piece of all of these different things he's created, like sci-fi Home Alone, these 
the 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 portal that transports you to who knows where the the laser walls and everything that he did it's it's a really fun and creative way to film that kind of house chase sequence where essentially you could literally think of whatever you wanted to do like what's what's a completely ridiculous creation that i could have that would be fun for the sake of the scene and because he kind of had that blank slate to just do whatever he wanted with these inventions it turned out really fun yeah the kind of imagination that's on display there almost feels like he got a bunch of kids together and said if you had your awesome fortress house what kind of cool things would be there yeah of course you'd have a rocket bathtub shooting out of the roof of the house why not because it's awesome and to me just what makes that scene fun is almost what just makes the whole movie fun is this this sense of this is cool because it's cool like we as people just look at this stuff and think, well, that's neat. Let's let's make a movie that celebrates that. And so that whole scene of just fun set pieces, and it it doesn't help or it doesn't hurt to have like enemies that are robots, so you can do to them whatever you want. <laughs> you you get to experiment with these lasers that cut them to pieces because it's just it's androids. So because of that, they had the ability to just go crazy with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the film was kind of commenting on that that attitude of why can't it just be fun when they come to the teleport and uh, Cassie's Casey's asking all those questions. He's like, can't you just be amazed for a while? <laughs> and then you know the opening scene where uh, Hugh Laurie's asking Walker like, what's the purpose? He's like, well, can't it just be fun? You know, the, the fun stuff is you know what inspires us you know to go and make those things, and the film was kind of commenting on that. Just just it's fun. What's wrong with that? Yeah, and I, I, actually, I, I really like that itself. That it's cool. There's, it, it will have a positive effect just by existing. It's, it doesn't, whether it helps us in our day to day life, it puts us in a better mood. It makes us more positive. It's, it's something fun to enjoy and to experience and to like what George Clooney said, just to be amazed at. And so the whole movie just carries that idea with it. So like scenes at this the house chase it just they all all of these scenes are crafted with that kind of sense in mind mm-hmm. yeah There's, there is a rocket in the uh, eiffel tower and it's fun it's really cool i remember, i watched it uh with my brother and i remember thinking like oh so the entire eiffel tower splits apart and a rocket lot like that's that's not subtle at all is it and he said no but it looks cool like halfway through the scene as it rises out of the ground, I'm like, it does look pretty cool. So I for a split second during the movie, I was I was the antagonist until I realized it's fun. This is all really cool. It's just a director having fun with this story. Something else like I mean, we're we're pretty much already touching on the idea, but just to talk about the visuals themselves of the movie. The movie is a fun visual movie. Um, whether it's action scenes or just like her first experience at Tomorrowland with that, that recording, that is such a cool sequence. And I, I remember almost sitting in amazement at like the floating pools falling from one level of the pool to the other. Like that's such a cool idea. And these, you know, long patches of grassy uh, gardens just kind of twisting and bending and trains that just float with no track. It was that that scene kind of helps the point of the movie, which is it's cool to just sit back in amazement. I just 
imagination. Um, and fortunately, the movie had a big enough budget to really make all of this these imaginative ideas look really cool. Mm-hmm. As you talk about you know, the visuals, um, I, I like how you know, in the midst of this scene where she keeps wanting to go back and experience this, just like walking into walls or just falling down the stairs. And the way he visualizes that is it's just, it's just so many unnecessary touches that just make the moment to moment experience just so enjoyable. And just the transitions between those scenes just throughout the film, like after she finishes the pin, she finds out that she waded way into a lake. Yeah. Uh, another example is, you know, as as George Clooney is hit by that whatever it is that knocks out humans, and oh, as soon yeah. as he hits the door, and he just he literally wakes up, and we experience that the way he would, where it's like he's just waking up with the last thing he remembered. The those are two separate scenes, but the way that he connects them by him hitting the ground and rising back up is really cool. It's such a cool connective tissue between these. You know, it's a cool connective way to advance the plot. Yeah, that that shot is so cool. It's where the camera kind of falls on his side with, and then immediately rises back up. It's there's so much, there's so much just to watch every second of this film. You know, also with the visuals, something else that I like that we've obviously talked a lot about is just the aesthetics. They're very much the kind of style you would see in fifties and sixties sci-fi. You know, where now we we can't make science fiction without trying to like really ground it. Which can be cool, like we talked about earlier, like with Ridley Scott's Alien movies, they always feel like that's yeah, that's what it'll look like for sure. Like, but in the sixties, you just got all of these big, round, goofy-looking weapons that shoot green lasers, and this this movie is like, let's let's continue with that idea. It's like if if our idea of science fiction never changed, this is how all science fiction movies would still look. It's you know ridiculous curvature and there, there's no like pointy edges and it's all just so sleek it's it's really cool to watch and it's it feels so fun in the way it fully embraces that kind of retro vibe and then just one small thing that's i i just wanted to note it because it, i rarely see this the way they dress in the future felt maybe not entirely believable but somewhat believable because a lot of the time when when you portray like future society for whatever reason everybody always dresses the same like they're like oh this is the style of the future it's like okay well something can be in style without literally every person on the street wearing what is essentially the same thing but just if you look through the crowd you'll see like a mishmash of different styles like someone was wearing like a vest and a fedora, and then someone else is wearing the kind of goofy-looking thing that you'll see on the more out-there, like, runways of today, and then other people looking somewhat modern with these little, little different tweaks to it. It all looked like a style that might potentially at some point exist. And that was enough for me to just point out and say, that was kind of cool, that you actually, every, every different person had an actual outfit, and there was like a cohesiveness to what they wore and it was different from the other people, but also looked like it still belonged in the same world. Mm-hmm. And I guess my last positive is one that I think was originally kind of a negative. You know, I was wondering like, why is Casey, you know, the one, you know, that, that it's kind of an annoying syndrome that uh, a lot of uh, 
uh, YA films have, where you know you have the one special person who can save everything. But watching it this last time, I don't necessarily think that she was the only person who could have done this. I think essentially the reason that she kind of changed the percentage from like from 100% to 99999 was that she was the type of person who you know could look doom in the face and say no we're going to change this it wasn't that she was the only person who knew how or it was again her dna that i think essentially what they needed was just kind of a personality type that could you know see the future see everything that how everything's going to hell but still say no we're going to keep fighting as long as possible and that's essentially what those pins are. Or at least the way they're used in this film is essentially you give a vision to a certain person. And then the way you tell whether they're kind of they're right for Tomorrowland is whether they keep pursuing it. Like the the right person for Tomorrowland is the person who sees that and then everything in their life has to be now I gotta find this place. Just every nothing else matters. I have to find this amazing place. Like if if they saw it and like, huh, that was cool, and, and didn't think about it again, they're obviously they're not they're not the right person for this place. And so I I think that I think it, it does kind of a clever spin on you know the one uh, idea we see so often that it's just you know the the way you tell that she was the one is that simply that she she kept following after this incredible vision because it it was. It was what it was what she wanted. Yeah, and Athena even kind of says who she was looking for. She was looking for the dreamer, and you know they they say that at the end again. You know that's we're we're looking for dreamers. We're looking for the people who, when they see that, like you said, they're not going to stop pursuing it. And we see that with her character consistently saying to George Clooney's character, "You've got to take me there. Like th- that place exists, whether it's in this this." you know, dimension or not, I'm, I want to see that place made a reality again for me and, you know, made a reality in general for everyone. And so, yeah, it's not that it was in her DNA. It was just the fact that she's the one because it just makes sense. It's, it makes sense that based on the problem that the, this movie presented and the kind of person that she is just based on her personality and the way she sees the world, of course, she's the person that would be sought out, um, and so like you said, it is it is a different take on the tried and true. Oh, this was the one. This was the per. It had to be this person. And it, I, I like, I like having Tomorrowland be the uh, be an idea, you know, kind of a goal to str- rather than being just this kind of goofy future reality where everything's perfect. Like I like it being something that we have to work towards it's kind of it's a work in progress it's an it's the idea of you know of a better future and i i like how that yeah that it, where you have a guy like nix who kind of like it probably started out well but essentially he succumbed to the very idea that's killing the world and he brought that level of kind of doom and gloom to tomorrowland and then the vision failed and you know, they 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 did they sent out the they had an invitation, but then the party was canceled, as uh, Walker says. And I, I think that's more interesting than just ha- than just ha- you know having the world all fully functioning and all shiny in front of us. I, I like I like that it's that's, that it's more of a concept that we can 
it can leave us on that positive, hopeful note of now, now we can build that Tomorrowland instead of, oh, it's already here. Yeah, it, it is cool to have Tomorrowland almost be a symbol or an ideal to strive for as opposed to just this really cool set. Um, but that does kind of transition into a complaint I do have, which is I still did want more Tomorrowland. <laughs> and not because of what the trailers promised, but kind of because of what the movie presented and you know, an early line in the movie, whenever she says, "You're like, why are we just showing this?" and he says, "Because they had to know what the stakes are." So the whole point of showing Tomorrowland is so that we can understand the stakes. Well, you didn't, I, you didn't quite show Tomorrowland enough to me. But it's to to understand her goal. Like, so much of what's important about her character is that she's seen this. And she's the kind of person who isn't going to stop until she attains that. We the scene with her experiencing Tomorrowland is a great scene, and it's just it's cool to see all the different thing, like all the different touches. Even in the background, there's always something cool going on there. It would have been nice if if this is what they're fighting, both to protect and essentially to achieve. It would have been nice to have gotten a little bit more of what we were given, because it it is the goal of the whole movie. Yeah, I can get that. It doesn't really bother me, but I can understand that. I guess most of my problems kind of come up at the third act. Um, I really li- I like I love the entire film up to then. I love the setup, you know, where she uh, has to get with this grizzled old man who kind of who doesn't want to go because he was kicked out and who's who's embittered by the fact that you know th- this beautiful tomorrow kicked him, <laughs> kind of turned out to be a lie, and like all of that leading up to the end, I really like. But then I think once the third act comes around, it, it feels like it's a rewrite, like a kind of a hasty rewrite, just like, oh, oh, we got to have kind of an action finale. So, oh, this this, 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 this giant ball of negativity that we got to blow up and there's our ending. It just, it feels kind of, kind of cliche, but also just kind of slightly out of tone with the rest of the film. And also it, it, it hurts that the current state of Tomorrowland isn't all that well explained. It's like, so they're literally just going to live there with whatever, however many dozen people. Because <laughs> like, we never see anyone around Tomorrowland. It's all empty. And the world, probably from where all the resources come, is about to die. But they're totally fine with that. It's just, I, I don't understand Nix's motivation. The way Hugh Laurie plays the character is as a sympathetic antagonist. To where we don't agree with him, but we understand what he's doing. And he, and he believes what he's doing is right. But the way the script has him... He's just a cackling megalomaniac who just wants to destroy the world. There's like a disconnect. I don't understand what his motivation is. Why doesn't he want them to stop the world ending? Because everything he's saying seems that he would want that to happen. Yeah, it's really weird. To me, his motivation was was odd because so much of it, to me, works so well. Like, at at least so much of what his character was saying, like with his, his monologue that we've already talked about, there's a lot of cool ideas, but then, you know, the way that the whole big satellite ball thing worked was, you, he was essentially saying that we, we're cool with this, we're okay with the world ending, even though, if I understood correctly, he was almost partly responsible for it, because by broadcasting that, he was filling the idea 
and adding a fuel to our acceptance. And so it tries to make him sympathetic with saying, I tried to warn them. And then it keeps him as a very much a villain by saying, and I'm going to continue to do this. And why is because they, I don't, sometimes it's all, it almost feels like it's hinted because he thinks we deserve it. And we're essentially asking for it anyways. And, and then he doesn't want us coming to Tomorrowland because we'll inevitably bring that there. But we couldn't really bring it there because the only reason it exists in the first place is because of this big satellite that's projecting it. into the. It all felt very confused as to what the movie was saying at that part. Yeah, I like how the climax is built. Like just I love the... the, the goofy little fist fight between George Clooney on, and uh, Hugh Laurie on the beach and then the, the rock'em sock'em robot thing. And the the very short glimpse in the uh, end of the future was always cool the way they played with that. Yeah, yeah. Like, all of that, like, the ideas, the visuals, the actual, like, moment-to-moment stuff is good, but I don't... It doesn't really make much sense to me the whys of why they're fighting. Why is Hugh Laurie bad? Because he, he's such... I, I, I mean, I love Hugh Laurie in the role. He's... He's having so much fun and just his dynamic with the people is just is great. But it just, I don't know, it's, I still really love the film, but that, that, that does, it messes it up quite a bit. Yeah. There's a couple other like things within the movie that uh, I'll bring up in just a little bit, but something else that I wanted to mention just about the structure of it was even though the whole movie, and we, we keep using the phrase like moment to moment, and I would agree like the moment, uh, the movie is engaging and the moment to moment moving on but I do feel like the movie kind of takes a little bit to actually explain what's going on, like why I'm watching this movie and what the goal is. Because I, I remember, I, I should have actually looked at the time, at how far into it, but I remember after they escape from his house and they're getting on the motorcycle, thinking like, I'm pretty far in the movie, but I don't really know what we're building towards yet or <laughs> what the idea of this film is. Or like... I don't know. It it felt like it took a long time into the movie before the movie was like, this is what we're trying to do. This this is what our character's goal is. Um because before it was it was a just a series of really fun scenes like the the fight scene in the novelty shop and the fight scene to escape the house and um you know, set up for her character and the the opening scene, but it 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 didn't feel filler, but none of it felt like I was really understanding the plot up until a, until we got to a certain point, which feels like halfway in the movie where they finally said, "This is what we're doing." Hmm. I didn't really, I didn't really get that. Maybe it's maybe it just works better on rewatch. But uh, I think it's, those earlier scenes are establishing who Casey is as a character, and and then it, it, I think it feels rather sequential, you know. She goes off on her own, and you see, you see like a uh, Athena's character kind of watching her, and then they meet up, and you know, they, then they go to the next step. It felt like it was moving in a, in a pretty clear direction to me. I guess, I guess what it is is, so my brother did leave um, for a good bit of the first part, and he maybe the only reason this scene in particular, when like as soon as they had gotten out of the lake, out of the bathtub, and uh, Athena had just driven up with the truck was he he came back and i paused it for just a split second because he was telling me something else 
And then I remember when I would hit play, thinking, if you were to ask me what the movie was about <laughs> at this point, I would have been like, I, I don't really know what the movie's about. There's been really <laughs> cool, really, really cool and inventive scenes, but I'm not entirely sure what the next step of any of this is or why the characters are really doing what they're doing right now. I think we said might be true where it, it would work better on rewatches that I, I, you know, I wouldn't be kind of wondering, okay, what, what is the movie leading me to now? What, what is this all about? I, I know the whole story so I can just enjoy it. But at that moment I was thinking like, I, I don't really know what this movie's about right now. Like what, <laughs> it was almost the same problem I had with guardians of the galaxy, except a lot less glaring, but with but with both instances, I found myself pretty far into the movie, not entirely sure what the plot was. I would not go there. <laughs> Which it's it's to a much lesser degree. To Guardians is far more confused. We've been going for a while. Uh, did you have any other uh, negatives to mention? Um, some of the just with explanations like the origin of this machine that could see into the future, it felt like... Tachyons, obviously. Well, (laughs) the the expo... Honestly, I don't even... Like, the movie doesn't ever really feel like it's... It needs to... Nor should it feel like it needs to explain the science behind of it, it. Or behind it, but it just felt like that existed... They're like, oh, we'll kill two birds with one stone. We'll invent a machine bad enough to get him kicked out. That also works to kind of act as a way that our characters can see the future. But there's not, there's no build. I, w- I would have got liked to have gotten more backstory as to George Clooney's character's time. I guess I could just call him by that Frank's time in Tomorrowland that led up to him creating this machine, uh, this machine and you know, the fallout, you know, to that action, him getting kicked out because of it. Because we just essentially said, I I made a really bad machine and they kicked me out for it. It, Mm -hmm. There's just a, that, that time frame in the movie that the movie doesn't really give a lot of time to, um, you know, his, his falling out with Athena just is, is mentioned and it's, it's never really fully explained. I feel like, I think that also might work better in rewatches. I think just you know the sense of betrayal at her, you know, well, first off, not telling him that she was a robot and allowing him to fall in love with her—that's that's kind of a big deal. But also, I think just the growing bitterness of after all the optimism being thrown out and like all being completely disillusioned. I think he kind of focuses it on her because she's she's the kind of the embodiment of everything Tomorrowland was. And I think that the the movie may have been made a little bit better if it focused more on the disillusionment. Like we would we would feel for his character more if we saw more of his just wide eyed optimism and enthusiasm he had during Tomorrowland, so that whenever he is kicked out, it it hurts that much more because we saw how much he loved it there and just. The way it affected him as a person, seeing all of this and thinking all this could be made possible, only to find out that this paradise was kicking him out. I think we would, we I I understand his character, but I would have felt for his character emotionally more if I was able to kind of exp- 
experience, pseudo experience that with him. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm about ready to move my final thoughts. Uh, are you? Uh, yeah. All right. I guess just to start, um, even for its third act flaws, I, I just, I still don't understand just how someone could at least enjoy this movie. It is, I mean, just as from a filmmaking perspective, just how the visual direction that uh, Brad Bird brings to it, everything, everything about this movie is just so enjoyable, entertaining. The pacing is excellent. All the acting, the acting, the chemistry, the, the, you know, the, the dialogue, all of it is just completely firing on all cylinders. I think for the vast majority of this film, the action scenes are incredibly inventive. The characters are are all exciting. I think it's just it's just such an it's it's a road trip movie, and the journey is a lot of fun to watch. And I guess if you were expecting something else, this might be disappointing. But I think if you if you go rewatch it, you know, with in mind of what it is, and just you enjoy the moment to moment filmmaking and just the journey of what this film is, and even as we said, the third act doesn't totally work. I think the emotional arcs all completely land. In the end, you know, when these characters have their character moments, and then when they the final the final scene, which kind of is a sermon, but I don't care because it is just so darn optimistic and happy, and I, and kind of a really great mirror to the things we've seen earlier on in the film. You know, them sending out the little evangelists to the world to preach their message of humanistic hope or whatever. I think it just it all it all comes together really nicely, just for a very enjoyable film with a really solid message that I think the world would improve would be improved by hearing. Yeah, for me, I think one of the the most positive thing that I can say about this, and I can say a lot of positive things, is just that this is a movie that I could have seen myself growing up with. This is a movie that I would have loved that as a family we would have loved watching, and we just really outside of like movies like Pixar, we don't really get a lot of those that are just fun and optimistic with a good message. And it's, it's, it's just entertaining and it's well-made. You never, you don't have to feel guilty for liking it because Brad Bird's an exceptional director. And so the movie knows what it is and it wears itself on its sleeve. It never tries to lie or cover up its optimism. And it, 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 it's the exact opposite. It tries to just, it says this movie is positive and optimistic and fun and it's created to be enjoyed. So enjoy it. Like <laughs> it's, I always like it when Have we get movies fun. like those. Yeah. that That's it's really, that's its message. Have fun, but <laughs> n- not at the expense of tomorrow. And when movies like these come around and they are well-made, I always really enjoy them. So I was really interested in watching it just because of, you know, everything surrounding it, the kind of the disappointment that I saw from a lot of people and then the almost cult following I've seen from other people. I was really interested interested to see where I would land and I can happily say that I do enjoy this movie a lot. All right. Yeah. So, yes, if you've seen it, go watch it again. Um, give it another chance. I think I think you'll be surprised just just how enjoyable this movie is. So uh, next week uh, we will we have a special guest on. It'll be a uh, Blaine Grimes from Home One Radio, and he we're, we'll be discussing his pick, uh, the nineteen is it ninety nine, mm hmm, nineteen ninety nine film The Mummy, uh, kind of in honor of the Mummy remake with Tom Cruise, which I am way more excited for than I should be. 
so that we'll be we'll be discussing that film uh and i'm looking for that i've only seen it once but i do remember quite enjoying it yeah i'm more looking forward to rewatching the 99 one than i am to seeing the new one but i still have hope that the new one can be good tom cruise gives hope if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We are there as Underrated Podcast. Feel free to comment with us suggestions of films that you think are underrated. Uh, and if you want to find older episodes, you can go to our website, underratedpodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are underrated underscore pod. And if you want to follow me, I am on a letterbox. It's a kind of a social networking site for movie buffs. I law again review most of the films I see. I am there as Gabriel Green. And I also have a YouTube channel where I make uh, movie-based music videos. I'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, I am also on Letterboxd as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, and I also do writing for a site called articleasylum.wordpress.com where we just write about mainly DC-related uh, movie news. Uh, so those are two different places that you can see what I'm up to. And I will put the links to all of that in the show notes if you're interested. So, until next time, when we'll have two mummy movies to talk about, we will see you later. See ya. book that the Americans found at is supposed to bring people back from the dead. Until now, it was a notion I was unwilling to believe. Believe it, sister. That's what brought our buddy back to life. Yes, and I'm thinking that if the black book can bring dead people to life, then... then maybe the gold book can kill him. That's the myth. Now we just have to find out where the gold book is hidden. At least my favorite plague, boils and sores. They have become his slaves. So it has begun. The beginning of the end. Not quite yet, it hasn't. Come on. <laughs>